Hi, it's Carrie here from Wrap Your Head Around Silks. Welcome to the Expecting Aerialist podcast. That. <laughs> yeah. Hi. 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 Yeah. <laughs> I'm so excited to get into this topic. Um, for my listeners, Jamie Hurley, she is currently working as a NICU lactation consultant, but she has done it all, really. She was a, just a lactation consultant. Hi. <laughs> Hi. And uh, she's colleagues with uh, Holly Nagatoshi, who was on a couple weeks ago. She's based in Las Vegas. I think I'm going to start at your most recent, what you do right now. Can you explain for the listeners what, what you do at, your, at, at work? So I am the lactation consultant in the NICU, the neonatal intensive care at one of our local hospitals. And my primary job is to Um, promote and protect breastfeeding in the interim while moms are separated from their babies or babies are unable to um, feed at the breast for various reasons, prematurity, health, um, you know, it could be any number of of reasons. So we establish lactation, protect milk supply, and then as the babies progress and become healthier and able to nurse, then we work on breastfeeding. Um, But that really is kind of, in the NICU, that's kind of a secondary uh, that comes later on because we have to protect milk supply before we can even be concerned with feeding. So those early days are important. Can you talk about specifically how you protect that nursing supply? So are you, you're teaching new moms how to pump? Yes. So first and foremost is early initiation. The faster you can get a pump started, the better the long-term milk supply ends up being. Uh, even though most of the time there's very little supply at the beginning, it's not that it's not in there. It just doesn't pump real effectively. Colostrum is a lot like sucking honey through a straw. <laughs> so mm, right. it's, you know, it's more about stimulation than it is about actual volume being expressed. So that we try really hard to get that expression started within the first one to three hours to protect long-term milk supply. And cholesterol, I, most new moms know this because it's that, it's that very thick, thick substance, like it's like human gold, as yes. they say, right? Yes, liquid gold, we call it. Liquid gold um, that comes out. Mine, mine just barely came out the yeah. day after she was born. What are the tips and techniques that women can do on that very first, let's just say their child is not in the NICU. What is the very first things that they can do that week to get that milk supply really going? So, you know, honestly, uh, breastfeeding starts before the baby's born. Oh, okay. Um, The best thing that you can absolutely, um, without a doubt, read, sign up for a class, do something online, talk to your OB, uh, meet with a lactation specialist prior to. A lot of insurance companies are covering some lactation consulting. Uh, Find a pediatrician that supports breastfeeding even before the baby's born. So you kind of know what those normals are. You know what to expect in that first 24 hours, 48 hours of breastfeeding. You know what's normal. You know what's not normal. And then if you're getting mixed information in the hospital, which can often be part of mom's um, biggest frustrations is everyone tells me something different. So if you kind of go into the breastfeeding experience already having a solid knowledge base, that is first and foremost, the best thing that you can do for yourself. And then after that, um, as soon after birth as possible, skin to skin, skin to skin, skin to skin, we fix everything with kangaroo care (laughs) and just let the, Ah, 
yep, as often as they want, uh, for as long as they want. They do not feed on schedule. They do not feed on, um, they don't, they're, they're not predictable. They're not on a clock. They're not on an every three hour. They just eat when they want to eat for as long as they want to eat. And allowing them to do that in those early days, particularly the first few days in the hospital, really sets up your milk supply for the weeks and months to come. Get you off to a great start. All right. And in the your case where babies are in the NICU for reasons of prematurity, some, there's complications, do you usually have stressed out moms? We do. On your hands? We do. You know, that there's anytime there's a, a something different than what you expected, there's a grieving yes. period, you know, whether it's um, a C-section that you expected to have a vaginal delivery or a full-term baby that's for some reason ends up in the NICU or baby that just comes suddenly prematurely. You know, anytime there's something different than what you thought there was going to be or your idea of a perfect birth, uh, there is going to be a period of time where the stress heightens. Even in a perfect setting, the stress heightens. And there's, you know, some of the research will say stress doesn't affect milk supply, but those of us in the profession disagree. <laughs> Yeah, I would imagine that stress affects everything. It does. It does, for sure. Yeah, it's hard not to be stressed out. Right. So you have a a mom who's in there, and you're trying to protect that supply. And so you'll take the baby out of, what do you guys call it? That The box? The The isolette? Isolette. Uh Uh-huh. And they're able to do skin-to-skin breastfeeding with some of them, and but others aren't able to. Is it just depending on... The condition of the baby? So most of our babies are able to do uh, skin to skin, if not right away. We try to do it as soon as physically possible for safe, you know, when it's safe for mom and baby. There are very few limitations on being able to do skin to skin or kangaroo care is the kind of the fun word that we use. Um, You know, even if baby's not eating skin to skin, kangaroo care, that's going to help regulate their blood sugar, their temperature, their heart rate, their breathing. Um, It helps increase milk supply for mom. It helps increase the milk making hormones. So the benefits to skin to skin, the sooner the better. And the NICU, our NICU is very um, pro kangaroo care. We start to do it as soon as possible, even in an absence of feeding. Babies can do skin to skin even if they're on ventilators or have IVs or on heart monitors. Oh, I see. Okay. I was very, very lucky. My my little bean, she found my nipple and it was like a magnet. <laughs> it was like a magnet. I thought, you know, I had watched all the videos and the whole like football grip and like getting an asymmetrical latch and I read and did all the things. And then when it came time, none of those things actually were the thing. She just found my nipple and drank. And I was very lucky. She also wouldn't let my nipple go. She still hasn't. I just weaned her about two months ago and she's still touching my boobs, you know, (laughs) probably all the time to try to fall asleep. So let's talk about the other group of women, the other ones, the ones that have a really tough time. What would you say out of the women that you work with, what is the percentage of women who are like me and what are the percentage of women who are not? I would say um, overall, just the ease of what you're describing, you are an exception uh, to the norm from what we see. Okay. Most babies figure it out, but they don't 
read the books. They're not robots. They are not um, always, you know, they're, they're built to breastfeed, but there's, there's always, or there's always the risk of, or the potential of uh, either mom's nipple shape or, or something going on with the baby or just, you know, misinformation or knowing what's normal. There's always a chance that it's not going to just happen. Um, it is, you are lucky. It is, it is lucky, mm-hmm. you know, and, yeah. and when you read how to breastfeed, it's kind of like reading how to ride a bike. You really can't do it until you just do it. You just have to sort of try it. But that's, you know, a lot of it is just not having the right information going into it. So if you have um, good support, good breastfeeding support, either friends that are breastfeeding, lactation help in the hospital, um, a good supportive partner that's going to help cheer you on, um, that definitely makes a big difference. So what you're saying is that I'm exceptional. You Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to say that in this particular sure, consequence. I, it is correct in this particular way. Okay. So for the ladies who are not finding that magnetic thing with their baby's lips, <laughs> can you talk about all of the the tips that you have that, um, you know, work with, with women? So we start with, uh, watching for those early feeding cues. So way before baby's crying, if baby's already crying, you, you're kind of in the starving. It's, it's a lot like you trying to figure out what you want to eat when you're already hungry. You just, you know, it, it, the earlier you can fe- catch those feeding cues. So they're kind of wiggling around, they're licking their lips, they're sucking their tongue, they're putting their hand in their mouth, even just simple eye fluttering. If you start to undress baby and just sort of let them gracefully and gradually try to find the nipple, it's a lot less stressful for both of you because baby's not screaming and starving and you're not upset. And the more upset you get, the more upset they get. So if it can be kind of a calmer start, that definitely helps. We always encourage moms, if they're not, a, if they're not asleep or eating, their babies should be skin to skin, even in a postpartum setting, because mm-hmm. they will start to notice that they're feeling hungry a lot sooner because they can smell the milk. So they will sort Mm. of just naturally gravitate towards to where they want to be before they're starving to death. So, so again, right back to skin to skin. (laughs) Okay. Okay. And for the ladies that, I don't know, I had, I had a couple friends who, just tried everything and they couldn't get their baby to latch. Can you talk about that? There is, you know, there, there is a small percentage of partnerships, I guess, that, that are difficult. Always, 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 um, if you're having trouble getting your baby latched on, um, start with, with hand expression or ask to be set up with a pump, because if you've got milk supply, you continue to have options. So if you're protecting your milk supply in in the absence of a good latch, you can continue to work on breastfeeding and an outpatient setting with, with a lactation specialist. Um, but you know, if, if you start giving too many bottles and you start interrupting the natural process, it becomes more difficult to get a baby latched on. So, Always, you know, if, if the latch isn't going well, hand expression is a great skill for moms to learn, again, in a in a prenatal setting rather than in a postpartum mm-hmm. setting, learn how to do hand expression. When you're supplementing a baby, it doesn't mean formula. It means something other than a feeding at the breast. So being able to feed your baby with a cup or with a spoon or with a syringe 
while you're working on the latch of, you know, just using hand expressed breast milk is a good option. Um, always get information, get follow-up from a lactation specialist. Use those resources that are available to keep working on it. Yeah. For the women that I know who have, you know, just had their heart set on breastfeeding and the baby comes and the latch isn't happening, it can be so emotional. Oh, for sure. That's, that's oh my goodness. part of that grieving process. Or, you know, it's kind of like I've had one job and I, and I can't do it. And, you know, just get, just get the help, get the support that's going to fix the problems. A lot of the breastfeeding problems are pretty easy fixes. And, and with the right support and with the right information, you can get a baby latched on. Jamie, you yourself have, did you say you have two children? I do. I have a 17 and an 18 year old. <laughs> you had them back to back? I did. They're 16 months apart. And yes, we did that on purpose. Oh my goodness. And what is it like to be a teenage, a teenager mom? I would be a toddler mom any day. <laughs> okay. It, yes, it is. It is a challenge. You know, there, there's not a lot of books on parenting teens. <laughs> um, and also through a pandemic. Correct. Like yeah. So online learning all year. Yep. They were home online, junior and senior year. Yep. Oh man, that is a challenge for kids and the mom. It was. They they fared well. They did okay. But they they had a little they had a little grief of their own, but it's okay. They're pretty resilient. Um, do you have, I mean, 16, 17 years ago, do you have any good birth stories for us? I had easy deliveries. Oh my goodness, that's great. I did. I should have I had easy pregnancies, easy deliveries. I mean, I've worked OB. I could give you birth stories of things. Oh that. yeah. Tell us something tell oh, us gosh. something that rarely happens, like oh. very rare. Um, well, I worked for our county hospital for a while. So there were oftentimes we did have a family um that did in vitro and they implanted two eggs and one of the eggs split. So they ended up with triplets. Wow. Yep. Set of identical twins and then so twin girls and then a little boy. So that was interesting. That was fun. They were actually the first set of triplets at the hospital, the NICU I'm working in now, or they were the first and only set of triplets that we've ever had. Wow. So that was exciting. Yes. Um, that's my biggest nightmare to get pregnant again, because I have one. And to say that, you know, to be like, oh, we want two, you know? Uh-huh. <laughs> and then to get pregnant and to like have end up with three. Like, yeah, that's I mean. It's a blessing, but man, that's not, that's a lot of babies. That's a lot of babies, especially when they're young. So it's a lot of diapers. You know, I never thought about having more than one at one time and what that actually means until I had my own. On those nights where she couldn't fall asleep and we barely got any sleep and I can't imagine what it would be like for her to go to sleep and then for her twin to wake up. Mm -hmm. And then you're just trying to survive. Um, and for a lot of women this year, they haven't had as much support as normal because of the pandemic. Right. So I, now I look at that and I'm like, whoa, those people are superheroes. I feel like the first year of having a baby, your life is just a series of naps. You don't actually sleep. <laughs> you just take a lot of little naps. <laughs> my question. Okay. So my population 
is a bunch of really fearless fit women, generally, because we're aerialists, we're either professionals or hobbyists, spend a lot of time in the air, spend a lot of time upside down. Um, do you have any, do you see any differences with lactation and breastfeeding with that type of population? Or is it, or does that have nothing to do with anything? I would say that women who are, appreciate what their bodies can do and respect what their bodies are capable of, trust that their body can feed their baby. And I think that women who are um, in better health prior to pregnancy can appreciate Mm -hmm. the benefits of breastfeeding and the health benefits and just for themselves and for the baby. Um, You know, but I, I, I don't know that I would, I don't know that I've paid enough attention that I could say for certain, but I do know that when, uh, you know, when, when you can push yourself physically, like someone who can hang upside down and by their feet, <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that you probably have the mental capacity to push through some of the breastfeeding challenges. But I also know women who have given birth, um, you know, had a drug-free birth at home and then breastfeeding was an awful experience and they were never able to do it to the degree in which they would have liked. So I think it really, they're two, they're two different things. Experiences can be different. Yeah. I think, um, DNA wise after I, you know, had my baby, I talked to my mom and my sister, like my sister had an extraordinary amount of, of milk. My mom did not breastfeed us. Apparently, in the late 70s, it wasn't a thing. Mm-hmm. This is so funny to me. So she didn't breastfeed any of us. Right. It was a, it was that, a status thing if you could buy formula. You were able to buy formula. What is that about? I know. It's crazy, isn't Back it? Back then. And it's so expensive. It's formula. very expensive. And it wasn't very good at the time. It was not good, healthy formula. That's for sure. That's so interesting. So I guess that wasn't just my mom. It was like... Uh, that was the social viewpoint of, uh-huh. yeah, for sure. of breastfeeding. And then now it's like, I feel like some women are shamed if they're not breastfeeding, which sucks too. Yes, for sure. Yeah. It's, I mean, just general judgment on moms is terrible, right. but. Just be you know. nice to each other. Just We're be nice. We can. <laughs> I know. Um, yeah. So, so do you feel that, that shame people internalize that a lot? I can say I personally did not successfully breastfeed my babies, which is okay. part of why I do what I do now is because I was fell right into that formula trap. I got a can of formula in the mail and my babies were both of them about four or six weeks old or so. And I just thought, oh, it must be time to wean. And I was a, I was a postpartum nurse at the time and didn't, I just, I just did it. And so, and I did have a lot of guilt and a lot of shame and I felt like I had to justify it in some way still. And even still, when my kids get sick, I blame it on myself, you know, eight oh, years no. later. <laughs> oh no. It is. Yeah. I remember feeding one of my babies in the parking lot. I, I fed him a bottle because we were going into a play group and I didn't want the play group moms to see me feeding him formula. So I forced him to eat before we went in. And he was like, oh my goodness. 
Man, and this was 16, 17 years ago. Right, right. Wow. Oh, goodness. It just never, the mom guilt just never ends. It does It feels not. like. <laughs> nope. <laughs> you, you know, um, my sister did a full year. I did like 19 months. Holy moly, I never planned to do that. And besides the fact, I talk about this all the time, only one of my boobs wanted to create milk after the first two weeks. Oh, yeah, how how rare is that? That's pretty uncommon, actually. Most women have one side that produces more than the other, but you know, there's women who have mastectomies that are able to fully nourish their babies off of one side. So your your breasts are different. Your body is not perfectly symmetrical on both sides, and neither are your breasts. They just they're they're different. They, the the breast tissue is different. The glandular tissue is different. The milk ducts are different. So it's yeah, and my my doctor, my OBGYN, she was like, well, it's mechanical. So if the baby is just preferring one side, sometimes it can happen. So just pump the other side and see if you can get it restarted. And, you know, my left boob was like, nope, closing shop. <laughs> Not playing. Closing shop. <laughs> so, you know, it became, you know, because she was nursing well into being a toddler, she would just crawl into the nook of my right armpit. <laughs> And, she, you know, the cue was very obvious because after a while, she she knew she wasn't getting any juice over there, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and then oddly, too, um, my sister had this, too, is I feel like, you know, the it's part of her DNA and just kind of runs in the family. But I would get these um, milk ducts, ex, you know, really, like, engorged in my armpit. Yes. Um, how often does that, do you see that happening? In the early days, we see it quite often, actually. You have milk ducts into your armpit. So if you're wearing a tight-fitting bra or a, a bra that has wire in it, or if it's the side that you sleep on, or if, you know, in a pumping setting, if the flange is in a good fit, or if you're not draining the breast completely, um, it can cause, you can, I've seen women with milk ducts so enlarged in their armpit, they can't even put their arm down. So it does, Whoa. it does happen. Yeah. But does that filter into the milk ducts in the boob and then eventually come out? Well, yeah, milk, the milk ducts are, so when you're engorged, when you have milk ducts that are engorged, if you, when you drain them effectively, then it comes out. Engorgement shouldn't be a, a, a state that you're in all of the time, because if you're engorged, you're sending a message to the breast that you're making too much milk and then it'll actually slow down milk production. So you have right. something that you want to fix. Aside from being painful, it does affect your milk supply. Okay. And for the aerialists out there, like, I couldn't do hammock, you know, arms in the hammock for almost two years because it would just kind of put pressure on my milk ducts in that, in that space, my armpit, and it was so painful. I don't know if it would have hurt, if it would have been bad for me internally, but it was just really painful. And if something, so. if your body's telling you it hurts it's wrong. Yeah. Most of the time. Okay. So just don't do it. Can you talk about engorgement and how to deal with that? If you, um, you know, your baby's born, you're in the first couple weeks, what are the measures that you take to calm engorgement down or just deal with the pain of it? Um, no, you want to try to work through it because it does, it creates different hormones when you're in an engorged state. It, it's trying to fill a full dam. And so if the dam's too full, then it slows down the milk production. So we don't, you want to try to fix it. Um, oftentimes what moms will do is in the interest of trying to 
make more milk, make more milk, make more milk. Moms always are concerned with that. They're not going to make enough milk. They'll be breastfeeding and pumping. And then you're telling your body to actually make too much milk. Well, you're making more than your baby can eat. You're going to end up engorged. Um, or if babies are getting bottles and there's longer gaps of feeding time between feedings, you're going, you could potentially end up engorged. Um, it's, it's fairly common in those first few days to a week to have some degree of engorgement. And you really just kind of want to nurse through it, nurse on demand, pump if you need to, um, but don't pump continuously because you're just going to perpetuate the problem. So you kind of pump to comfort, but, but really try to let the baby regulate the milk supply. And then okay. you, you can use, you know, there's some old old wives' tales with cabbage leaves and that kind of stuff. You just have to be careful because you can overdo that. You know, you don't want to end up the extreme the other direction either. So really just trying to let the baby nurse and you can use um, hand expression, breast massage, you know, expression in the warm shower just to kind of soften the breast, but try to let the baby be in control. Okay. And then let's go to clogged milk ducts. Let's go to that and mastitis because I know for some women it just, I I never experienced mastitis and I just hear it's so painful. So yeah, mastitis, um, you feel like you got run over by a truck. Um, it's very painful, fever, flu-like symptoms. Really? Um, oh, oh yeah. It can be bad. And it, it, we don't, oh, we try not to overprescribe um, antibiotics because that creates a whole new avenue for new problems, but definitely get in touch with your OB. If, if you are starting to feel like you've got flu-like symptoms, um, we want to make sure that it's not yeast. So you have to differentiate the difference between mastitis and yeast, um, versus just a painful latch. Um, but in any of those yeast cases, in the nipple, yeast, yeast in the nipple, yeast um, in the yeast, so it would be thrush, uh-huh, and it can be on the surface of the breast, on the nipple, and it also usually it's in the baby's mouth as well. Oh, so it's coming from the baby's mouth. Um, it's coming from warm, dark, sugar, moist. It's just okay, a breeding ground for for thrush. I for see. Yeast. Okay. So mastitis does need to be treated though. Um, some doctors will, will always write a prescription or, or call in a prescription for antibiotics. Some doctors kind of like to see what happens either way though. You want to continue. Don't stop nursing on that side. There's nothing wrong with the milk. It's still good for the baby. The infection is not in the milk duct. The infection is around it. The worst okay. thing you can do for mastitis is to stop nursing. <laughs> so you want to try to nurse through it. If it's too painful, then you can go ahead and pump that side, but don't, don't cut it off completely because it'll just make the problem worse and then affect the milk supply. The infection is inside the blood vessel. It's inside the tissue. It's not in the milk duct itself. It's not in the milk ducts. Oh right. my goodness. I learned something new every day. Interesting. And so it's, it's not really linked to engorgement. Like then how does mastitis? It can be linked to engorgement. It's an, int- it's an introduction of bacteria into the but into the skin. So if there's a breakage, if there's irritation from a poor latch, if there's, you know, if the baby's caused any kind of damage on the nipple, um, if you're pumping and using the wrong size flange, that's how it can end up in, in the, um, tissue. Sometimes some women are just prone to mastitis for various reasons. You know, it, it can be very uncomfortable, but the antibiotics medication usually do a pretty good job at knocking it out fairly quickly. 
I always assumed that women got mastitis because if they had a clogged duct and it just stayed clogged for too long. You can. You can. That's one okay. of the reasons that it can lead to it. Engorgement. Okay, but then there's other there's there's many other ways you can right. you can just come a, you can just get it basically. You can. Yeah, and some okay. women just get it and some women don't. <laughs> okay. I'm so I'm so lucky. Have you did you experience that when you were I did breast- not. My sister eating? did though and and both of her babies she's that's why she stopped nursing. It was so incredibly painful. She just said I'm done. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Um and then it's also one of these things that my sister breastfed and and then I did and her her daughter ended up with like allergies to so many things even with the breastfeeding and then mine not uh, up until now she's 20 months, you know no peanut allergies, blah, blah, blah. So is it kind of like we do it to, to create this, this level of protection for the kid, but then it, it's just kind of what it is, what it is, whatever. Um, it breastfeeding does reduce their chances of having, um, food allergies and, and, um, asthma and ear infections and digestion problems. But some, you know, some of it's, some of it's genetic. If there's a peanut allergy in the family or a milk allergy in the family or a seafood allergy in the family, then some of it, you know, even in spite of breastfeeding, you may still end up with it, but it certainly Mm -hmm. is, it, it could help reduce the chances or reduce the severity of it. Is, did did I miss anything when it comes to the common problems that women have that we might want to talk about? So we, we often see, um, when we see outpatient, uh, babies, you know, we get a phone call, baby's three, five, seven days old. Um, mom is struggling or it's just not working. And then we get in and, and we do some digging. A lot of lactation is, is, um, we're, we're investigators. We have to do detective work and figure out what's happening. And, a lot of times, oftentimes it comes down to the baby got a bottle in the hospital. And sometimes that has to happen for blood sugar yeah. or billy or weight loss. Or sometimes there are medical indications for a baby to get a bottle or two bottles. But the bottle doesn't have to be the end of the breastfeeding experience. If the baby had blood sugar problems and one formula bottle fixed it or one formula bottle helped that can be the end of it. A lot of times we hand over a bottle and then there's no, there's no conversation about how, when that should end. There's also not, if, if your baby's being supplemented with something with a feeding other than the breast, you need to be doing some sort of stimulation via hand expression or pumping to keep the process going. I so see. that's the big thing in that first 24, 48 hours, the hospital stay can be detrimental to breastfeeding if you don't have the right information. Um, Also knowing if someone comes in and says your baby needs a bottle, it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to protect your breastfeeding experience. It's okay to say, I would rather wait and see, or can someone help me do hand expression? Or can we use something other than a bottle? If, If it needs to be formula, it can be given in a cup. It can be given in a syringe. It can be given, you know, via mom's baby can suck it off of, um, a little feeding tube, you know, there's, there's options. It's not the bottles, not fixing the problem. I so see. That's the big thing is, um, if the baby has to have some sort of supplement, making sure that you continue to press protect breastfeeding. If the pediatrician recommends at any point that the baby needs to have a supplement of some kind, ask how much and for how long, 
by supplement, do you mean I need to feed the baby a bottle three times a day for the next week and we're coming back or what? Because the pediatrician will say you need to supplement after feedings and I'll see you in three months. Well, no, Mm. if we're fixing a problem, then you need to be seen next week or in a couple of days, not three months. So, and just knowing what's okay. normal, knowing babies, breastfed babies do not eat. They don't eat every two to three hours. Like sometimes we're told they eat when they want to eight, 10, 12 times a day, sometimes every hour, sometimes every two hours. In my case, when I gave birth, my milk didn't come in for like two days. So that's a misnomer. The, the phrase when your milk comes in is a very, um, it's an unfair statement to say to a mom. You have milk. You have colostrum. Colostrum is milk. You start making colostrum at 20 weeks of pregnancy. Oh, I see. So anytime from 20 weeks till delivery, your body has started creating colostrum. Just because your breasts don't have that fullness, that heaviness, doesn't mean there's nothing in there. So um, when your baby wants to eat every hour or every 45 minutes or every hour and a half, and someone has said to you, oh, your milk's not in, you're, you're, thinking you're starving your baby when really what we should be saying is feed your baby all of the colostrum it wants as often as it wants. And it's going to help transition your milk into more mature milk. That's what's happening. Baby's creating, Uh, baby's putting in his order for tomorrow. So every feeding he does today, he's putting in his order for tomorrow. Less frequent feedings means less milk production, more frequent feedings, more milk production. Yeah, that definitely didn't happen with my hospital. <laughs> no, it generally doesn't. And it is it is kind of sad. And most women don't feel that milk, that heaviness or that fullness or that quote unquote milk coming in feeling for about three to five days. Two days is actually pretty early, especially with the first baby. So, which is also why we don't generally pump in the beginning unless you have to for stimulation. Because if we put a pump on and nothing comes out, we're just validating what you already think is true. And that's not actually true either. (laughs) So, okay. Clarification. So I could have put her on my boob, had her suck on the colostrum, which I wasn't really sure she was getting as the primary source of food for the first couple days. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. I, that did not happen. That did not happen. Yep. Okay. And, And it's, it's very normal for so their their voiding and stooling their peeing and pooping patterns are the direct indication of what's going in. So if enough is coming out, that means enough is going in. In their first 24 hours of life, they only have to have one wet diaper and one dirty diaper in order okay. to be considered well nourished. Day 2, 2 of each, day 3, 3 of each, day 4, 4 of each. So that's how you know your baby's getting enough to eat. Pees and poops. Oh, and what is this poop, breastfed baby's poop supposed to look like? Is there a supposed to look like? So um, at first it's going to be that meconium, that thick, dark, sticky, kind of jelly-ish, messy, (laughs) difficult Uh to wipe. And then it it will start to transition. Um, and, And it should, it sort of transitions with your milk as your milk changes. Um, and then you'll see transitional stools and then breast milk poop looks like mustard seeds. So it can vary in color a little bit. It, it resembles diarrhea, which can sometimes make parents a little bit nervous, but it is, it, it should be a little bit liquidy. It should um, have a kind of a seedy, mustardy looking consistency. Um, 
but it can be, you know, some variation of that color. You want to make sure it's not bright green, make sure there's no bright red blood. Um, and then the urine should be pale yellow. Um, you know, if you're noticing that the urine seems dark, then you would consider whether or not the baby's dehydrated and probably either at that point give a bottle or have the baby seen by the pediatrician. Oh, this is so interesting. I was never told that even at this yeah. point. Okay. I, know, I feel like sad. <laughs> this <laughs> podcast, I learn something new every day. Good. It's just endless. <laughs> You know, um, I think that last thing was just, that is a surprise to me. I, I just didn't know that. So I'm really glad that you shared that. Thank you. Oh my goodness. You know, one yeah. of the best things I would say probably you asked at the beginning about just, um, kind of knowledge, equipping yourself, mom, watch a hand expression video. They're usually three minutes long. Find one on YouTube, find one on a breastfeeding website, find one somewhere, hand expression. You can, you can supplement your baby with several more cc's of colostrum from a spoon or from a little medicine cup, if you can effectively hand express. And that will save you a lot of arguing in the hospital about giving formula. I see. Okay. Okay. Um, that's so good to know. Wow. Jamie, you are such a great resource. Um, (laughs) can you, are there websites that you feel like are great resources that, you know, if you're living in another country, you could access? So Stanford University actually has a really great breastfeeding section. They do have a video on hand expression, stanford.edu. Okay. They've got a great one. Um, La Leche League is international. I believe. I think they're international. Okay. Right. Um, the Southern Nevada Health District or the Southern Nevada Breastfeeding Coalition, you can go on their website, Southern Nevada Breastfeeding Coalition, and they've got a list of resources available that anybody can access. They're just websites in different different places. Um, be careful what you Google, just like anything else. You know, just because mm-hmm. you're on the internet doesn't mean it's true. Um, breastfeeding classes, the WIC, I know in the U.S., WIC offers breastfeeding support. So any kind of, if you, if you're doing the WIC or supplemental nutrition, um, they, they offer breastfeeding classes. There's most hospitals provide a breastfeeding class either now they're doing them virtual or in person. So part of your childbirth, um, education, you should also have take a breastfeeding class that helps too. And then check with your insurance company and see what they'll, if they'll connect you with a lactation specialist. Okay. Yeah. It's so, it's so informative. Thank you so much, Jamie. You're welcome. Yeah. My goodness. Um, I know that this topic, I had been wanting to do this topic for so long and Holly set me up with you and I'm like, it's perfect. It is a very underserved population. Many people think that your experience is just going to be what theirs is. And yeah, unfortunately not. Or they've heard these terrible horror stories from their friends and they don't even want to try because they, they just are like, Oh, that would sounds like an awful experience. So it really is just, just knowledge. Knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. And it's, and there's such diverse experiences. I think that's the thing that we have to keep in mind. Super diverse. No two are the same. No. And then no, no two kids of the same parent. Right. 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 
Right. And breastfeeding does not, you're not committing today what you're going to do next year. You're committing today what you're going to do today. And then tomorrow you decide what you want to do tomorrow. You don't have to decide what your life commitment is, you know, you just yeah. do it day by day. Do you have any, do you have any um, helpful tips for weaning? So weaning, you know, baby led weaning obviously is going to be the easiest. Uh, so that's just kind of letting baby be in charge, but that's not always possible for moms going back to work. You know, we work and we live in a, a two income society now, so that's not always an option. Um, if you could kind of, one of the easier ways is just drop a feeding a day is one of, mm-hmm. one of the ways if you can, um, let dad do a bottle or somebody else in the family do a bottle or a sippy cup. You know, they don't always have to go to a bottle. They can go straight to a sippy cup. My kids, um, they got breast milk came from the breast and formula came from a bottle and milk came from a cup. They, they would not take the other things in the other vessels. (laughs) (laughs) They would take any of them, but they, they had their place. They were very particular. Both of them were. Oh my God. That's funny. So it dropped. Yeah. Dropping a feeding a day is kind of a a little bit, moms can be a little bit more in control. If it has to be a drastic wean, it's kind of along that same line as helping with engorgement. You just kind of pump to comfort, not to empty. And then it can be, it can move a little bit faster that way. Okay. Yeah. I had, I had the problem that my child just loves it. Loves, Mm -hmm. loves, 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 loves. (laughs) So it was really hard because we, you know, there's a lot of tears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is it, fr- from everyone. <laughs> from everyone. Yeah. I didn't, I've had you know, tell me they've had to go away. You know, baby had to go to grandma and grandpa's for the weekend to get him to wean. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I have, I have this thing that if my child can eat French fries, they, right. can't, they shouldn't be breastfeeding at this in the same time frame. It's just like, are you kidding me? Like we can have a conversation too. about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have friends who happily breastfed a whole like 9 months longer than me or a year longer than me and I just I wanted I wanted to be done. I wanted some bodily autonomy. I don't actually have life autonomy, but I wanted my body to be right. functioning and for that's, me. That's a personal decision. It is different for every family and you just have to decide what's going to work for you and your four walls and and regardless of what anyone else is thinking. Thank you. This is so informative. Thank you so much, Jamie. You are a wealth of knowledge. Thank you. It was fun. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much to Jamie for being here today. If you guys go to my show notes, my book that just came out on July 1st, you guys can get it for free. Understanding Aerial Silks, it's meant to be a companion to your training. So if you go to the show notes, go ahead and click there, put in your email address, and I'll send you an ebook for free. Thanks to Asa Watkins for music and post-production. If you will honor me with a five-star rating and a review anywhere you get your podcasts, it really helps our community find this podcast more easily. And come visit me at Wee one on Instagram for choreography and tutorials, etc. on silks. Thanks so much for listening in. You've been listening to the Expecting Aerialist podcast.